theme. Each podcast theme we are doing, we are uh, doing an interview with um, at least one international uh, expert on uh, the subject. And this time the theme is pain. Uh, last international expert on the subject with ACL uh, injuries was uh, Dr. Uh, sorry, late Dr. Fu. And this time we have, um, uh, we are very glad to uh, uh, have done an interview on the 17th of uh, February with uh, Peter O'Sullivan. Uh, Peter O'Sullivan is a professor of uh, musculoskeleton physiotherapy uh, at, uh, at the uh, Curtin University in Perth, Australia. And he's working uh, at the Pain Ed uh, company. Uh, we all, as professionals, know that um, Peter O'Sullivan has a long history of... Uh, uh, different um, um, publications on uh, the subject pain. Um, as I said, uh, Thursday the 17th, we did, we did this interview and uh, we already sent this uh, as a post podcast in a Dutch, uh, with a Dutch intro. Uh, the second international uh, expert on this subject will be in uh, the next podcast at the end of April, and that will be Wim Dunkaerts. He is a professor of musculoskeleton uh, uh, skeletal uh, physiotherapy at the University of uh, Leuven in Belgium. And um, he is also uh, connected to the Pain Ed uh, organization. So, well, have a lot of fun with uh, this interview I did with Peter O'Sullivan. First, thank you very much that you're making some time for us. Um, all right. When I look at all your publications and your work, it's, uh, it's a wonder uh, you have time to spare. So I was a little bit surprised that you made some time for us. Thank you very much for that. Uh, well, I like talking about the work that we do. And just to be clear that the publications are a team of people. That's right. Yeah, That's big right. team of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But if I see um, your participation in all the publications you're doing, it's incredible. Yeah. How many did you do last year? I'm not sure. Approximately. Really. <laughs> <laughs> maybe 26. Something like yeah, that. 26, yeah. something like incredible. that. Incredible, yeah. incredible. Yeah. But yeah. the main, the uh, main. I think it, oh, you know, sorry. No, I was going to say it. It kind of. I'm very fortunate to be in a situation where I'm connected to lots of different people in different mm. parts of the world, doing some really interesting work. So, mm. it allows for that. Right. Yeah. Well, um, our podcast series this time uh, is about pain, actually. So. Yeah. Um, because it's a global burden, uh, something like $635 billion every year. One of the yeah. biggest expenses in, um, yeah. in um, healthcare, uh, more than yeah. heart diseases, cancer, diabetes. Um, mm. If you look at that, um, physiotherapists and manual therapists uh, pay a lot of attention uh, to this mm. and are trained in this. Or are trained for this, and one of yeah. the and is one of the um, 
major professional groups, of course, uh, um, yeah. who has to do with pain. Uh, the reason I approached you are some of your uh, publications, of course, and um, so, uh, for all the 2015 publication about the stigmatize or feel unprepared to treat people with low back pain yeah. and social uh, psychosocial factors uh, that influences uh, recovery and of course yeah. the last one you did with the group with the uh, Canero GP Canero yeah yeah um, yeah um, it's 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 an uh, accepted uh, manuscript and it's about um, it's the title is from fear to safety yeah um, well these are um, of course you are one of the founders of CTF and CFT CFT excuse me yeah no worries <laughs> there, there we go dyslexia <laughs> and you are recognized internationally as a, a leading uh, clinician um, yeah. researcher and uh, educator so I have some yeah. questions for you. Um, yeah, no worries. What what is the um, um, the history about, um, or what is the the, the the history on the subject pain and the progressive insight so far um, uh, in the last thirty years? What's what's changed Ooh. in your perception? Yeah. Okay, that's a big question. Mm -hmm. um, Look, I, I suppose in my, across my career, and I've been lucky to have spanned that 30 years in my career, but if I think of myself as a young physiotherapist with a lot of questions and not many answers, mm -hmm. um, that reflected the fact that there was not a lot of research into pain at the time. And so we had very um, limited understanding of pain, and it was predominantly structural, biomedical, biomechanical mm -hmm. understanding of pain. And so we had kind of uh, systems, I suppose, in physiotherapy that kind of evolved out of manual therapy, massage and exercise that we applied to um, that understanding. And um, if I look at what's happened across 30 years, um, uh, there's just been this explosion of knowledge, uh, research, understanding uh, that it's not <laughs> that those um, structural and biomechanical factors mm. that we thought underpinned everything probably underpin a very small group of patients. Yeah. And in fact, it's not that they're not important, uh, but they're probably not the most important thing for the majority of people. And the big barriers for people recovering for back pain, for example, but it could be for any musculoskeletal pain, are often um, not related to structure mm -hmm. um, or biomechanics, mm -hmm. but they're more related to illness perceptions and um, behaviors. Um, so an example of that might be uh, if I develop back pain and I have a belief that that pain means that my back is damaged and therefore I need to protect my back and guard it and that makes me frightened. Those factors are more predictive of me not getting better than what would show up on a scan, for example. Would you dare to, um, to give a percentage of... Uh how many people, uh, of how, what the percentage is of uh, those influences in low back pain? Um, well, we know, if you look at, so we've been lucky to be involved in population research. Mm -hmm. um, and we've tracked a group of, um, in Western Australia, young people from the age of 14 up mm -hmm. into their 30s, for example. And we know that um, about 
you know, 45% of young people at the age of 14 have reported back pain. Mm -hmm. That's about 70% at the age of um, 18 up towards the, you know, the age of 22. Um, And a lot of those people track right through. And at the age of about um, 17, about 21 and two, like one in five of those people are reporting neck pain, back pain, Mm -hmm. taking time off school, seeking care, Mm -hmm. um, taking medication. And if you look at that group, there's a group of people with back pain who don't seek care mm-hmm. and there's a group of people who do seek care. So we don't know about a lot. Well, what we know about a lot of those people, there are people in our community who hurt their back, get on with it, never seek care, don't take mm-hmm. medication, get on with their lives. Um, and when you profile those two groups of people, the things that predict the ones who are more likely to seek care, more likely to take time off school, take mm-hmm. time off work, avoid activity, physical activity, they come down to things like their um, uh, their belief systems. So if mm-hmm. you have a negative belief around back pain, that back pain, you know, will impact on your life negatively and then it may um, lead to ongoing problems in the future, you're more likely to be the person who will make sense, go and seek care, take medication, avoid work, physical activity. And those behaviors emerge very early in life. So we know, for example, that you can identify those people at the age of 17 are way more, taking time out of school, are way more likely to be taking time out of work at the age of 25 and at the age of 30. So it, like we develop our beliefs around pain very early in life and they're influenced by social factors, our parents' response to pain. We learn pain from an early stage in life. We learn it from our peers. We learn it from our experiences. We learn it from our carers. uh, And that then can set a trajectory for later life. And, of course, other factors interplay with that. We know, you know, if you've had a um, tough early life, uh, we know that significant life stress events. We know living in a a toxic family relationship. Those things set the system up. They set up the nervous system to be more responsive, to develop, to increase the risk of you developing pain and persistent pain day on the track. Mm-hmm. So I, I think in answer to your question, our whole understanding of pain has completely changed. That this is, this can be related, related to pathology in a really small group, like maybe three to five percent. Um, but for the majority of people, it's not clearly linked to, you know, clear pathology. Uh, and it's influenced by a whole bunch of factors. Um, the majority of us will get back pain in our life. Mm-hmm. The, the group that become disabled, that's the group we're interested in. Mm-hmm. It's a bit like saying who gets a cold and who gets chronic fatigue after a cold. Right. Well, that's the group you've got to look for. Right. Who cares about who gets a cold because the majority get better. And it's probably mm-hmm. the COVID story right now as well. Mm-hmm. Like who are the people at risk of COVID? and of long COVID, they've got to be our interest. Did you have COVID? <laughs> no, 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 we've, well, just to be, <laughs> we've been in lockdown and yes. we still are in Western yes. Australia. Yes. We literally haven't been able to fly out of our state for two years. Incredible. Um, well, there was a brief window when we could go to New Zealand that lasted for about a month, mm-hmm. um, but nowhere else. So, um, no, we're, we're only now, for mm-hmm. the first time, we are ninety-eight percent vaccinated in our state. My um, God, that's that's a lot. And and we're still in lockdown. <laughs> and we're Incredible, only now yeah. starting to see we're starting to see COVID come into the population now. Oh my God! Yeah, yeah. 
crazy. Yeah, it's, so yeah, we just it watched is, around it the is. world going, what is going on? Well, luckily, luckily, luckily enough here in Holland, we're, we're leaving all those measurements uh, this weekend. Uh, so it's yeah. it's open again, and next week it's yeah. totally open again. But but the yeah. figures are insane when you see how many yeah. people are um, yeah. are um, having uh, COVID right now. But um, yeah, and, well, and again, it's a bit like it's a bit like pain. You know, it is. I think now we're saying, well, look, COVID for the majority, if you're vaccinated, is not going to be a big problem. But we need to protect vulnerable groups. We need That's to right. identify those who are at risk and protect them. Uh, and deliver right care for them. And that's how the pain story is, essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you already uh, uh, mentioned uh, um, uh, uh, what what have changed the last 30 years. Yeah. And what is interesting to see is that there are, at least that's the way I see it, two groups in Australia. The mm. mostly on a Lorimer mostly group and in your yeah. group, and which is very nice to see is that you joined into um, right. uh, the f- from fear to safety uh, um, uh, right. paper. Um, how yeah, yeah. how did it go? Well, um, just to be clear, <laughs> there are <laughs> yeah. lots of groups in yes. Australia, mm-hmm. um, re- different research groups that are looking at the problem from a different perspective. Right. And right. we've just identified two groups. I, I don't so, see um, you as uh, enemies or stuff like that. But, uh, no, 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 no. But, it, think, but there's another our, insight. Our on, yeah, exactly. Yes, and our, yes. our view on this is it's such a big problem having um, different people who look at a problem from different perspectives That's adds right. to a broader perspective mm-hmm. um, and so look this this all stemmed from JP Canero's PhD so he was particularly interested in pain related fear in people with back pain so mm-hmm. um, uh, and he you know if you tracked his work he was interested we had a professor of psychology right we had a professor of pain mm-hmm. psychology which mm-hmm. was Stephen Linton mm-hmm. um, uh, we had Lorimer's background in terms of neurophysiology of pain mm-hmm. um, my was a clinical perspective. So we built a team around um, uh, Anne Smith, who's a methodologist, Great, um, yeah. physiotherapist, mm-hmm. bi- a biostatistician. So we built a team around um, mm-hmm. JP's project. And so he looked at, um, at the lived experiences of people with pain-related fear, linked mm-hmm. to back pain. And then he tracked um, the process of change for those people um, through a CFT intervention. Mm-hmm. which essentially took them from a point of being um, disabled and frightened of mm-hmm. pain to an understanding that they're actually they're, they're, it was safe. So mm-hmm. the fear of fear to move versus safety to move. Mm-hmm. And he tracked that journey with them and looked at the factors that changed as people improved. Mm-hmm. And the kinds of things that, um, that changed, he's got a beautiful paper in British, uh, not British, um, Behavioural Research and Therapy mm-hmm. Journal, that looked at things like um, people's perception of controllability of pain, their levels of pain-related fear. Um, and when those things changed, their pain levels and disability changed. Mm-hmm. So fear and pain for those people were very coupled. Fear and pain and disability is very kind of connected. Um, and, and, you know, part of his paper was kind of tracking that what has to change for those things to change for these people. Mm-hmm. There was a qualitative component to that as well. So um, 
that that paper that was in physical therapy journal was essentially an overview of JP's work and his PhD thesis. Mm-hmm. Well, well, what was new for me, but probably not for the rest of the world, is that you already start with a, a, on a very low level of anxiety with CFT. I always thought it was more for the more, um, um, well, how do you, you can you can use the word chronic, but uh, chronical, but you already start with uh, graded exposure stuff if I understand it right, um, when yeah. I can say that safety learning is the same as uh, a graded yeah. exposure or is it, so, or so is it a little bit yeah, different? So, so um, it depends on how you describe graded exposure. So mm-hmm. there are kind of three pillars to the intervention. One is what we call making sense of pain, yes. which is to help people to understand the meaning of their pain through their own narrative, their own experience. That's more the, the mostly group, of course. Um, which is a bit different to oh, the sure. traditional pain neuroscience. Mm-hmm. This is more about taking the person's narrative mm-hmm. uh, and making it make, helping them make sense of their own story right. in their own words. Right. That right. makes sense. But right. from a bias, like a social perspective, mm-hmm. um, that's that part. And then the second part is what we would call behavioral learning. Mm-hmm. Um where you would take someone who might be um, frightened, for example, of bending and lifting, which Mm -hmm. is a common thing in back pain, Mm -hmm. um, and taking them through a graded process of exposure, Mm -hmm. but doing it in a way where you disarm them. So one of the things that we know is that if a person's frightened, Mm -hmm. um, that that will be linked to pain thoughts. It's like, oh, it's dangerous to bend, I might damage myself. Um, It's a link to emotions, which Mm -hmm. is, I'm frightened. Mm-hmm. And it's linked to a behavior, which is, I'm tense. I will right. tense and protect my back. Mm-hmm. I won't bend it. Mm-hmm. And so the exposure part is to dismantle those factors mm-hmm. through a behavioral experience. So, for example, if your body's response to do something threatening is to tense up, which right. is a normal response if you're frightened, mm-hmm. teaching that person to relax their body, to to not guard their core, to breathe into their belly, to get out of that fight flight, or fright response into deep relaxation. Is that it's what you like mean, disarmed? These yeah. factors? Yeah, right. Yeah, disarmed. Right. Yes, yeah. right. Uh, and, and then gradually take them back to the threatening task in mm-hmm. a way that feels safe for them. Right. So that over a period of a session, it usually happens within a session, mm-hmm. the person goes from in a pain experience, a fear experience, and a belief, Mm-hmm. and a protective guarding response to relaxing their body, moving it, mm-hmm. realizing that actually it was less painful than what they thought it would be. Mm-hmm. And that has an effect of disarming their fear or reducing their fear. Right. How uh, many so times do you have to repeat this uh, form? So, or... Yeah, so we've looked at that. Mm-hmm. Um, the first session looks to be particularly important. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and we've got data to, that we haven't yet published looking at the change over time. But the first session looks to be really important. Mm-hmm. And then the follow-up sessions are more to help the person generalize that learning mm-hmm. and put it back into their life. Right. So there's no point that you are confident to move in my treatment room. No. But when you go home and you pick up your child, mm-hmm. you're terrified. Yes. So yes. the subsequent sessions are about generalizing that learning. Mm-hmm 
into activities of daily living. And for some people, that's really tough. For some people, it's like a light bulb moment mm -hmm. where within a session, you can see their pain go from, you know, 8 out of 10 to 2 out of 10 within a treatment session. Mm -hmm. um, when you disarm them, when you build their self-efficacy, when you reduce their fear, you teach them to relax their body, mm -hmm. uh, and they have this kind of light bulb moment of going, whoa, mm -hmm. that's just turned my world upside down. For others, it's a much more graduated process. And if you track JP's um, cases that he published, you'll see that everyone's trajectory is unique to them. Uh, and also that there are flare-ups along that journey as well. And the interesting thing is the things that tended to be related to these pain exacerbations were getting sick, getting run down, getting stressed, um, uh, periods of inactivity, coming off medications like opioids. Mm -hmm. It wasn't usually physical factors that triggered these pain that's events. Right. And that speaks to our knowledge of chronic pain being very much mediated through the immune system. Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, things that trigger the immune system can trigger pain. Right. So things like not sleeping, being stressed, um, not exercising, you know, being run down, getting the flu, getting COVID, for example, mm -hmm. those things could become a trigger for a pain event. Uh, and those those opportunities, those pain events are critical opportunities to reinforce learning mm -hmm. as well. Um, can you tell me what, what the success rate is of CFT? Do you have figures on that? Or? Yeah, so that's a really good question. We have um, currently uh, completed a big trial here in Australia mm -hmm. um, for people with disabling back pain. Mm -hmm. And it's, a, it's the largest trial to date. I think we've had over 400 people recruited in that trial. We'll have much better understanding of that from that data set. Mm -hmm. um, so hopefully sometime later this year, we'll have more understanding of that um, from a decent data set. This, the trials to date have been relatively small, mm -hmm. so it's hard to gauge that, mm -hmm. um, but we'll have a better understanding of that. But, but let me be clear on this. <laughs> Not everyone responds. Um, uh, and there was a lovely qualitative um, paper that Sam Bunsley led, mm -hmm. which looked at the responders and non-responders. And the people who responded uh, said that they understood pain. They had a kind of um, a, a new understanding of pain from a mm -hmm. biopsychosocial perspective. They had developed pain control strategies so they could get back to their life, get living again. And Those still, who didn't, <laughs> and still they sorry. had, and still they had yeah. pain. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but much less pain. Um, all right. Uh, yeah, much less pain. So, so they, the thing around pain is so interesting because we know that if you feel you can control something like mm -hmm. pain, it will reduce your worry, anxiety, and fear. Right. You have control over it. Right. If pain is something you have no control over, if it's, a, if it's intense, it's not predictable, it's not controllable, mm -hmm. that will increase your level of distress. Right. And so we teach a lot of, we explicitly teach the ability to control pain. Mm -hmm. uh, through regulating thoughts, emotions, and behaviors. Um, and so those people who have said that, they report significantly less pain and basically say, I've got back to living living again and I don't need to seek care anymore. Mm -hmm. um, the people who've said, look, you've missed something here. My back is damaged. There's something you're missing. Mm -hmm. You know, I need it fixed. Mm -hmm. um, uh I've got no control over my pain. I'm disabled. Those are the that's the group that tend, you know, we're missing out on. And right. you know, if you understand the landscape, mm -hmm. um, 
we've got a society that is giving hundred different messages to people with back pain that you know your back's you need to be scanned you need to be fixed you need more treatment Mm -hmm. you need an injection you need drugs you need surgery so we're we're (laughs) promoting an intervention Mm -hmm. that swims against the tide Mm -hmm. (laughs) that goes against all the messaging that happens (laughs) out in the community and it's a so tough it's a job, really, right? It's a really tough <laughs> yes, job. It's a yes. tough sell. Right, it, right. It's like trying to market something mm-hmm. that has got no... It's like you're trying to market something that's going to do you out of a job. But, but like, can, can't, we, can't, <laughs> we, can't we make it easier to put uh, the CFT method or any other method which, are, which is more um, on this track to put that into um, the PT uh, schools. Well, we think so. We think so. And, and not only um, PT schools, but also uh, general yeah. uh, practitioner yeah. schools and, and specialist uh, uh, yeah. schools and universities. Yes. Yeah. So I think it's starting to happen. Um, mm-hmm. um, you know, one of the things that I think generally around the, inter- the university education systems, a lot of more updated evidence is being put into those training mm-hmm. programs. Mm-hmm. I think I think what's probably happening at the moment is we have a much better understanding of the factors that are underpinning pain. Right. We probably don't we probably haven't adjusted our training mm-hmm. to upskill people to confidently develop deliver those interventions. So right. um, you know that's an area that we're particularly interested in and we're involved in at the moment is developing um, resources to mm-hmm. upskill clinicians to better manage pain because it's it's tough and right. and look you know every patient that comes in will come in with a whole bunch of beliefs a whole mm-hmm. bunch of expectations right. that may not be evidence-based how do you manage that as a clinician because we hear a lot of times people go well you know we told them all the right stuff and they like never came back it's mm-hmm. like so a, a lot of those messages can feel very invalidating for people with pain and right. so we have to be expert communicators. Um, well, to to we have to be expert ma- communicators to deal with people who are distressed. Who well, that, well, that's who another are, question for you. How do we communicate to our patients? Because com- com- communication is, of course, one of the hardest things to do. Uh, mm. uh, I think uh, we all. Um, have to be very careful in what we're saying to patients. Yeah, of course we do. Uh, do you have any techniques for that? For for yeah, how you can, like, uh, yeah, how Look, you can um, reach Ian, your patient Ian, better? Yeah, Ian Cow. There's some great resources out there. Mm-hmm. So Ian Cow did his PhD um, in the United Kingdom, mm-hmm. and I was re- I was involved with that. And his his um, PhD analyzed conversations essentially mm-hmm. of people before and after being trained in CFT, that we train people to communicate. We train people to listen, to reflect, to validate, to um, educate in a way that is empowering the patient and not invalidating for them. Um, We have a a developed communication quiz called lowbackpaincommunication.com if you want to listen to it, which is a I'm going to write it down now. Uh, One more more time, please. uh, Lowbackpaincommunication.com. Dot com. And that's a quiz that we developed to describe unhelpful versus helpful communication for patients. Mm-hmm. And that's been really popular because people, it's like 
so it's basically um, gives two scenarios, a helpful scenario and an unhelpful scenario. And it talks about the evidence behind them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the kind of resources that we're interested in developing to support clinician mm-hmm. having difficult conversations right. because right. we face them every day in practice. Mm-hmm. And I think we haven't spent the time training that. And we're, you know, in our university, we're doing that now. We're changing our curriculum to update our programs to align with the evidence. We need to do that all around the world. Mm-hmm. You already, As the evidence evolves. Sorry. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. Um, you already um, put on a paper the 10 things which are uh, yeah. mostly crap about low back pain. If you have to yeah. pick one no. out, of, out of the 10... When I when I put a knife on your throat and you have to pick yeah. one, <laughs> which yeah. one would you pick? Oh, look, I think the most devastating one for patients is that pain means I'm damaged. Right. I think I think that's the most devastating one because mm-hmm. if people think they're damaged, mm-hmm. they will protect, they'll guard, they'll avoid, they'll seek scanning, they'll seek to be fixed. Right. I think that's probably the most unhelpful one. Mm-hmm. And, and look, <laughs> to be fair. There are people who are damaged. Right. You know, we right, see people who, who have fractures, who have dis- massive disc prolapses mm-hmm. where there is tissue pathology. Of we course. need to make sure we screen for that. Mm-hmm. So that's not a message you can give everyone with back pain. You need to triage them first mm-hmm. um, to make sure that you've triaged and eliminated the possibility right. of, of pathology. And then you can give that message. Of course, of course, of course. Yeah. But, but well, unfortunately, it's, a lot of people who have no pathology have that been given that message because they've been given a scan that shows, you know, normal findings of people mm-hmm. on the scan and, and that's become patholo- pathologized right. and frightens them. Mm-hmm. Peter, we're running out of time. No worries. Uh, unfortunately, I could talk for hours with you. Uh, Wim yeah. Dunkatz, Dunk- you know Wim Dunkatz, of course, yeah. of your group. Wim was my first PhD student. <laughs> oh, cool. I'm, I'm going to interview yeah. him as well. So, do yeah, you have great. a question for Wim? Oh. <laughs> um, look, a question for Wim. Uh, I, I go, Wim, are you working too hard? <laughs> Still. <laughs> But it's the same with you, I guess. <laughs> That would be my question. That would be my question for Wim. <laughs> Whenever right. I see Wim, I'm going, Wim, have you cut your hours down? <laughs> have you spent more time with your family? Oh, that's good. <laughs> Are you exercising enough? And, and I think probably, you know, that questions I ask myself as well. Right, right. Uh, because I think, you know, if you're involved in, as he is, academia, mm-hmm. uh, clinical work and teaching, it's a tough it's a tough journey because you're, you know, bridging lots of different, you know, you're, you're trying to cover lots of bases. And, mm-hmm keeping healthy and keeping well and keeping um, a balanced life is a bloody hard challenge when you right. do that. <laughs> well, it's clear. So it's we need your... to encourage each other on that, right? That's, right. that's what we encourage for our patients. Right, right. <laughs> could you, uh, uh, when we, uh, the last question, could you give a take-home message for patients? Yeah, listen to them. Mm-hmm. Listen to them. Listen to them. Mm-hmm. Just listen to them. I, An open question, like my first question to a patient is, tell me your story. That's the first question I ask anyone who walks into my room and within the first minute, they'll tell you something that's deeply important about their story. Listen to them. We spend way too much time talking and not enough time listening. 
Our patients bring all the knowledge to the table. They are the expert in their own condition. We just need to get outside our head and put ourselves in their shoes and listen to them and understand their fears, their concerns, their hopes, their dreams, their goals, their worries, and then through that lens, help them on a journey. Thank you very much. I'm going to uh, ask you one more thing. You're, you're coming to Holland uh, somewhere in September to, to speak? Uh, on no, the... I'm not, actually. No, oh, I'm no. Um, I, I was going there with a bottle of wine for you. <laughs> well, you're welcome, but you'll be drinking it on your own. Oh, my God. Um, ah. I think this the story there is, is I'll be zooming in from Australia to Holland. Okay, okay. Yeah. Well, whenever I have uh, the opportunity <laughs> to meet you, uh, I already uh, saw you once in Singapore on a conference of yeah, uh, low back yeah. pain and pelvic girdle pain. Yeah. Whenever, yeah. whenever I have the chance to see you, which which wine do I have to bring with me? Which wine do you like, oh, especially? Well, I like red wine. I like red wine. Red wine, but what what red yeah. wine? Do you have? Uh, a... Look, I'm pretty choosy. Uh, I'm not that choosy on good good red wine. I mean, we have uh, certain varieties here. Uh, exactly. New has Pinot Noir, we have a Shiraz, Cap, mm -hmm. so, you know, Cap Sav, all of those wines are lovely. But are you more the, 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 the person of uh, uh, a big red wine or, or... Yeah, I like a big red wine. More like smooth? Yeah, I do. Like a Barolo yeah. or stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, look, I, it depends on my mood. Yeah, right, that's so right, that's I, I'm right. I'm okay with a variety, I kind of like variety. That's right, that's right. Well, Peter, thank you very much. It was very nice to up. speak to you, and uh, I hope I can see you uh, soon somewhere. Yeah, well, one day again, we will fly, I presume. Um, I hope but, so. you know, I kind of feel like with the way the world's going and how our planet, we have to be way smarter about communicating like That's this right. and probably not hopping on a plane as much as well. That's right. For, for the environment, yeah. it's much better. Yeah. I think it's good. <laughs> thank you very much. Have a nice day. Pleasure. And thank you. Thank you. See you. Bye-bye. See you. So this was um, the interview so far with uh, Peter O'Sullivan. Our next uh, podcast will be a podcast with uh, Professor Wim Dunkaert. He's a professor of uh, musculoskeletal physiotherapy at the University of uh, Leuven in Belgium. So I hope you will uh, listen uh, next month again. So uh, have a nice day. Bye-bye.